everyone. Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Mekis. This week's guest is my former boss, Michelle Peach. Michelle's the co-founder of Minut Light Consulting, where they help companies from pre-seed to series B build their GTM motions and get their customers in a position to successfully grow. Michelle was the VP of revenue at Dooley when she brought me on to build the account management function from the ground up there. There were so many incredible leadership lessons she taught me along the way, which we will go into in today's episode. On today's show, we also discussed giving your employees a long leash, coming with solutions and not just problems, always learning in the early stage, when to hire your first BDRs, setting expectations with your boss, starting my nut light consulting, and so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Michelle Peach. Michelle Peach, welcome to the 20% Podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been a long time in the waiting. I'm so pumped. You know, it, I've never had a chance to um, interview any of my former bosses before. So I'm super excited. Obviously, you were a VP of revenue when I was building out the account management function. Number one, I just want to say, and I, I know I didn't say any of this while we were warming up, but I want to say, first and foremost, thank you so much for the leadership that you showed at Dooley and, and how fundamental it's going to be for my career as well. And just to let everybody know, one of the first things that, that Michelle told me was, hey, you have a very long leash. And that is one of the biggest leadership lessons I think that I have I've taken. And I, I don't think that a lot of leaders actually do that. I think there's too much micromanagement. Michelle is the complete opposite of that. And what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to do the most fulfilled work that I was able to do and take that big next step into my career of, hey, you have this, go build this out. And then now it, it led me to, you know, building out the, the sales function here. So uh, first and foremost, Michelle, I want to say thank you so much for that. And the first question on top of that is, why is it so important to give your employees that long leash? That's a great question. Well, I'm glad that you found that useful. Um, I think it's important to allow creativity and for people to figure out what works and what doesn't work for them. Everyone's different, right? So I've managed hundreds of sales reps. And at the beginning of my career, I tried getting everyone to do the exact same thing and follow the exact same script day in the life. And I learned that everyone's completely different, right? So they, they work differently. They, they like to be coached differently and providing a little bit of a leash for them to um, identify what works, what's best for them and also what where they want to go. Right. So for you, you, you wanted to build out a sales team and that that's what you're doing now. But by doing that, you need to have the ability to experiment, fail and learn and take that and build your, what you're doing now. And if I gave you the same script, the same thing, and was micromanaging you, you wouldn't have been able to figure that out. Um, I also think it's just important for you to build the confidence and I think you asked me one day, you asked me a few times about pricing or messaging. And I said, just try it. You, you got this. You're in the position you're in because you have the ability to be successful. And if you micromanage and you keep everyone in this like little bubble, you're, you're not allowing them to build the confidence that they need in order to be successful, especially in a sales role. No, absolutely. And literally I was just, and that was the other example that I was just about to share as well. When I, when I was asking you about that pricing and how to set this out, it's it, what you taught me there is I want you, and I think you vividly said this, like, I want you to own this. This is your process. <laughs> you do this. I'm happy to explain this. And I think Saad and some of the other folks mentioned it as well. I think another big leadership lesson I love your thoughts on before we, we dive back into your career, it's 
come to your leadership and come to your boss with a solution and not just a problem. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time you're, you have your hair on fire with all these different things as a VP of sales, ha- have a bunch of different reps. The last thing that you need on your plate is another problem. But if, and, and nobody wants to promote people who just bring problems. You want to yeah. bring people who are going to be bringing solutions. What, what's your, your thoughts on that? And why do you think that that's so important? I think it's important to, I always say, fuck the noise, right? So people get wound up and they focus on things they can't control and things spiral. So if at any given point you're sitting there and you can't actually control it and you're just complaining to complain and you don't have a solution, you're wasting a lot of time and energy. It's just noise. But if you find an issue and you have a solution, you should always bring it to your leadership team and try and fix it, right? So especially scaling, we're going through a lot of ups and downs, right? You need to be able to work in an agile environment. And the individuals that have reported to me or have been on my team in the past who have just complained and focused on things that they can't control are not good at their job, right? And I saw that pretty early on, you have the same individuals just focusing on things that they didn't like because it was, it wasn't, you know, they were under the impression that it was impacting their ability to sell. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, they were just focusing on stuff that they could not actually control. So that is what I want my team to do is look at the what's in front of them and what you can actually control. And if there is an issue, find that solution and bring it to leadership team, try and unpack it, like help yourself, help you, help your team. But if it's something that you can't actually fix, then move on and, and find something that you can focus on that will actually help get to your revenue targets. No, absolutely. And obviously revenue targets, um, regardless of the economic times, whatever it is, odds are they're still saying the same. So we only, we, yeah. a lot of the things that are out of our control, we we cannot burn. There's not enough uh, calories in the day to focus on that, on that stuff as well. Now yeah. you talked about being agile. That is one of the biggest characteristics or traits I think you need in the early stage, especially at least when I'm learning in the first couple of weeks that I've been at Lantern so far. Now, we're going to talk about uh, about the early stage, and, and I really want to dive into to what you're doing as well with Manette Consulting, um, and I, I probably just messed that name up as well, but you can, <laughs> you can okay. fix it again. Um, but before we before we talk about that, we want to, want to jump into your early career of uh, how we do every single show. So starting off, obviously, I know you went to Suffolk. Oh, my God. Why do you have so many different tough things here? <laughs> Suffolk. Suffolk. At Suffolk University, you study communications and media studies, but even before that, Tell us how Michelle Peach was as a child or some of your early careers. And, and because a lot of the time I notice that there's you're learning some of those sales skills or some of those core fundamental things in those early years that are way more valuable than the minimum wage or whatever the, the, the money was that you were making at the time. So tell us about some of those early foundational, how you were, and ultimately some of those early jobs that started laying the foundation to your career as well. Yeah. So not to sound cliche, but I was an athlete at a very young age. Um soccer track. I was ranked number one in the state league district for, for running. And that was at a freshman age in high school. So I was early on just had that competitive mindset. When you start winning, you always want to win. You always want to get better. You never want to be number two. And that that's how I grew up. Um, because I took the time to practice and get out there and, 
um, build my skill set in soccer and also track, which laid the foundation of the competitive mindset, which also is something that is extremely important to have in sales, I believe. Um, you always want to be striving for that next thing. You always want to be number one or set specific goals. So I was always doing sports growing up and I also bust tables, um, which is a hustle, right? You're, you're cleaning up. I mean, you're, working for, commi- you're working for commission in, in any exactly. of those types of jobs. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I liked having that cash at the end of the night. And I knew if I just, if I hustled and uh, helped my team, which was at that time, my wait, the waitresses that I was working for, we, it would be like a, a well-oiled machine and it would always work out in the end because if I did a good job, they made more money and I made more money. And um, I did that throughout college. So I was bartending and a waitress through college and I took an unpaid internship my senior year. And I also was a waitress and um, I would do the unpaid internship until four sprint across Boston and then go wait tables. But I knew I could control my income at that stage. And that's why I didn't really know what I was going to do when I was graduating college. I was studying PR and my unpaid internship, I looked around and I'm like, these people are not making the amount of money that I want to make. So I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, Sales just seemed like a natural thing because I knew that I wanted to make money and, and do well. I had the opportunity to interview at EMC, which is a very difficult interview process, uh, which was a really learning opportunity for me early age, uh, right out of college of going through six interviews, meeting with um, multiple VPs of sales at EMC. So I got that job and that's how I started the, my career in sales. It was not easy. They they go through a pretty significant boot camp at EMC, pretty significant sales training. So um, at first I thought, what was I thinking? Like, what am I thinking? This is the hardest thing ever. I had no idea that this is what like life out of college was going to be like. Um, but that's where I got most of my sales training from and built that foundation from there. That's so fantastic. And I, I also, uh, and I, I, I think I knew this before, but just drawing the comparison, I also started um, at, at an IT reseller as well. So I used to sell Dell EMC. I used to sell okay, yeah. a hardware software. So I, I completely understand how tough that is. Fortunately, I'd bring the, the well-oiled EMC reps in to help do the heavy, heavy lifting. So mm-hmm. I understand from that side of things, how important it was, but ultimately I was in that ecosystem and understand how hard it could be talking to some of those really technical folks, especially at that really young age of, you know, you're yeah. just in your early twenties and you're talking to the CIO, CTO, who, who is, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, who's been in the job longer than you've actually been alive. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. you know, Diving into that really quick before we go back, like what's your best piece of advice for somebody who is that younger person, that SDR out of college or that first sales rep who needs to talk to some of these VPs of sales or these CIO, somebody who could be very intimidating and who, you know, has significantly more um, experience than you, but you need to either sell them on something or give them a different uh, lens. Like, how do you navigate that way, that scary persona, essentially? Good question. Do your research, study, um, make sure you know the products that you're selling, make sure you do the research on the individual you're calling into because they will call you up. Um, 
I'll never forget one call, you know, you're, you're pounding the phones, you're doing 90 dials a day. And I didn't do my research. I didn't know the company I was calling into. And the, and the guy on the other end called me out on it. He said, tell me about my company. And I'm like, oh, shit, I yep. not, I did not. I'm like, you know, I've been, Google, there. I've been there. but you lack confidence when you're not prepared for anything in life. Right. So pre- make sure you just prep research that will give you the confidence. And at the end of the day, it's just another call and you move on. They might tell you to go pound sand, yep. but you just, you have to keep rinse and repeat. And it's like practice makes perfect. You'll, you'll build that confidence. No, absolutely. And I think you're hitting on that point of like controlling what you control or, or the other, like other side piece of that is like, you know, you can't like, you can't really predict what these other people are going to say. They don't even know you. They didn't even know you existed five mm-hmm. seconds ago. So something that they're going to say to you, like, disconnecting from the outcome, essentially. I know mm-hmm. Ian Koniak's really big on this. It's focus on the outputs over the outcomes, because if you have that consistent output over time, it, yeah. and ultimately if you could look at yourself at the end of the day and say, I gave it every single thing that I could today. I, I know that I'm doing these right things. Then, and that, I think that also means going to your leadership and asking those questions, asking feedback of, hey, I'm giving it my all. Am I giving yeah. it my all in the right space? And yeah. when you know that you're giving it all and you're in the right space, then there's nothing else that you could be worried about to your point of, of not focusing on those other things. Um, yep. Any other any other thoughts on that? I think it's really important to, go, again, go back to focus on what you can control. And, it, you know, tomorrow's just another day. You might have a shitty day today, mm-hmm. but take why things didn't turn out the way that you expected them and learn from it and take it to the next day and constantly be evolving and learning and challenging yourself to your point, ask your leadership team for coaching and feedback. I think that's really important. A lot of people say they like to get coached and get feedback, but make sure you're actually listening and taking and and digesting what you're being told and then implementing that on the next sales call or the next message that you're going to send. Um, And then also always working on your craft. So listening to your calls, listening to your peers' calls, um, listening to podcasts and reading blog posts, I think is really important to constantly be learning and trying to improve. Take that extra time. I think it's probably, you know, 20, 25% of your day or or week should be focused on um, learning and career development. I mean, and then you're taking some of those stories and and like, I even listened to like a CS podcast while I was running this morning, like just taking, yeah. just learning these things and getting them into your day. So that when, when I have a conversation later with somebody in our, in our, in our ICP, it's like, Oh, Hey, I heard this on this show, or I heard you talking about this or, or whatever the case is, yep, but it's, exactly. it's, so, it's so crucial. So important and learning you're learning every single day. And one of the things that we, that I love doing as well with uh, the CEO and, and founder at Lantern that, uh, you know, obviously my boss now is any single time, obviously we're on calls together all the time now, right? He he acts almost as like my solutions engineer. He's out and mm-hmm. telling more of the story, especially early stage. And what we do every single call, right when we're done, is we jump right on. We use tandem to just talk together and the uh, you know the video chat right after. What went well with this call? What could we have done better? And what you know what was wrong? We need to, especially in this really early stage. And I, I'd love your thoughts on this too. It's like you need to be having that constant feedback loop and making sure that you're always in that same motion. You're in alignment with where the company's going and ultimately constantly finding different ways of like, oh, hey, we didn't build this out yet. Maybe we heard this a couple of times. This is something we could consider. Why mm-hmm. is that kind of feedback and in, in, in communication so crucial in the early stage? 
you're always learning in the early stage. So you're still trying to figure it out. And I can tell you, even if you are super successful early on, there's a lot that you can improve and change within your sales cycle. Um, more specifically around your customers and your prospects, what they like, what they don't like. And not a lot of people actually take the time to digest what just happened and talk about, you know, wins, losses, what could have been done differently. And you'd be surprised. Um, no one listens to their own calls. So that is super important. Founders, go listen. What is your customer saying? Why do they like it? Why? Do, what didn't they like about your tool? What could you have done better? What questions could you have asked? Like, that is super important early on, but I think it's also something that you should be doing if you're series B, series C, you know, your ICP may change. You might identify a different vertical or segment that you can start to run towards. But if you're not taking the time to actually talk about what's working and what's not working, um, you'll never know. And I think it's really important for founders to get on the same level as the sales reps. It, they have some, most of them have no business actually taking sales calls, but at early stage, get on the sales calls. Um, and that will help you evolve the product and give end and prod feedback of where you should actually build the product. No, absolutely. And that's one of the big things that I'm bringing to, to Lantern as well. And then obviously that we, we agreed was really important is being able to take that step back and making sure that these engineers are listening to these customer calls that we have and being proactive as the first seller and first GTM hire here. It's, yeah. I think it's also part of my role to make sure, like I, I also have a big um, ability to help push where the customers, share what the customers are saying to ultimately make a product that customers actually want to use. And the only way that they're at the Eng team and these other folks are going to know outside of just being told what to do is really aligning on what is actually important and what these customers are saying. And I don't think there's a better way of having uh, them hearing it than hearing it from these customers themselves. So, um, so I couldn't agree with you more. So, all right. So we have this Michelle Peach. She was a high level performer, athlete, gritty, wanting to win, busting tables, working really hard, getting this commission. You graduate, you get a job at EMC, and then you go over to U test and mm -hmm. you did the BDR to AE to inside sales manager route all in one place. That seems incredibly rare, especially in this day and age with people moving back and forth. What was one of the biggest lessons that you took from going, uh, you know, obviously being really deep into the trenches and ultimately working your way up into that first um, management role there as well? Good question. So it, it was my first startup and UTest, which is now applause at the time, was a startup that it like startups getting a lot of funding at that time was pretty rare back in like 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was employee like 12, I think we were all sitting at one desk and everyone like the CEO, we're all sitting out and building together and learning together where that actually, um, provided me the opportunity to take the, those skill sets to every other role and hustle. So we had the VP of sales was hustling, the CEO was hustling, and we just constantly worked. We worked together. We would jam on pricing. We would jam on pitches and discovery questions. And it was a true like team environment where you don't see that a lot. And I was learning so much about an act, like the business as well, not just sales, uh, how to, you know, pitch pricing. And this is why we set our pricing this way. And I wouldn't have been able to learn that if 
we didn't have that environment of like open door policy. Let's, let's all get together. How can we be successful here? Um, Again, CEO, VP of sales on every sales call early on learning and iterating and innovating the products based off of what they're hearing. Um, But honestly, the biggest learning for me was just grind. And that is where, that's where I learned it from. And it, I look back and I look at the VP of sales and he crushed it. He, he just continuously worked. I'm not saying work, you know, 12 hours a day, like I did for many years, but that's just, that is what I learned. No, I love that. And we're going to, we're going to jump into that as well, because that was a question that was rolling around in the back of my head, but I'm, I have to draw a comparison here as well. You mentioned when you were working at the, um, at the restaurant bussing tables, you were really helping cross-functionally work with these other teams to help each other better and all working together. And it sounded mm-hmm. like you were doing that same exact thing while you were at U-Test as well of, of, of constantly iterating and helping other people and everybody, the boats rising together. Yeah. I like people don't understand. And I, I know that I'm like annoying about this, but people really don't understand how crucial these first jobs are and actually taking them seriously because you can mess around all you want at some of those jobs. Like and of course, there there has to be fun at some of that stuff. Like I'm sure you have some great memories of having fun and bussing tables and and, and being a uh, a bartender and stuff like that. But you still learned how to grit. And you learned all that stuff. It's so crucial. And I know that you know I, I constantly you know focus on that as well. But ultimately, to your point of the 12 hours a day, understanding that there's a time and place where you got to get stuff done. You got to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. At what point in your career? You said you did it over the years. What point in your career did you did you realize like? I need to take a step back and like try to have more of a, of a balance or try to segment as much as you can. And, and ultimately I know that that's like a, a black box of like, you can't actually do that fully turn off. At least I can't, but what, like, <laughs> what, what does that look like? Where, where do you make that shift? It's oh, a great question, Tyler. Great question. Um, uh, it took me until my son was almost a year to, take a step back and realize I can, it should be okay for me to leave at five to go pick up my son. And, um, I just allowed to work, I allowed myself to work in an environment and not push back for far too long. And, you know, when my nanny said, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's eating solids now and he did this and he did that. And I miss out on a lot. And I just looking back, I wish I, push back and I advocated for myself, but more specifically for my family. Um, it's not healthy to work 12 hours a day. It's not healthy to be constantly stressed, rushing to the bus and rushing home. And um, especially if you look at today's world, you can do everything remotely. You can take a sales call walking home. You can um, take calls from your home. And that was something that pre-COVID, a lot of people didn't realize that was doable. Um, but for me, I just, I realized that I needed to prioritize my family more and it, I, I wish I did or sooner. Um, but I encourage people to also take a step back and look at the environments and the culture of the, the companies that you're working for, um, more specifically senior leadership. It's really easy for a CEO to say, I want everyone in at seven to seven when, you know, they don't really care to be with their own families. So, um, it's, it's a tough battle, but I know that you can be successful by, by doing both. No, absolutely. And, and obviously, I mean, you, you've held senior leadership roles at a number of these companies. And I know that I never, I, I know that uh, just from the Dooley perspective, it was always do what you have to do. Here's the flexible, 
get mm-hmm. stuff done, like get your job done, but ultimately get that done, you know, but you know, you have to work a couple hours here or you take some time off. Like that's yeah. okay. And like, if you have happier employees and you have like, people are, are just overly excited there as well. Now I, I over communicated that though. I made it very clear to the team and all the leaders that I shut down at five. Um, you're, I'll be like offline between five and six thirty seven. If you need me, shoot me a text. I'll respond if I can, if not, I'll respond after my boys go to bed. And that's something that I encourage everyone to just be super open about it. Like I'm going, I'm going to pick my kids up from the bus every day at three 30. So my calendar's blocked at that time. Um, that, Locking that the calendar is the crucial part on that as yes, well, so that you that can't have it. these random calls coming in here as well. Make sure you're doing that everyone during the day as well. I found that that's a huge successful thing for me or a, a big stress relief of like, Oh, wow. I had three to three or four back-to-back meetings. I'm going to go and, uh, you know, go for a walk or go block, walk, yeah. or even like what we would do at Dooley as well. It's like, Hey, you know, we're going to do our one-on-one. Let's just go do a walk and talk where you and I would both just jump on the phone and just go walk around the neighborhood so that we're yep. still getting the job done, but still getting that refresh. And I think that that is super important too, of really trying to work some of that into your day, just to keep mm-hmm. your damn sanity. Right yep. now let's talk very briefly. Cause I know I want to make sure that we save enough time to talk about what you would do on ideally how you would uh, go from zero to series C or wherever you want to go uh, with mm-hmm. the consulting you're doing. But you have the triple D's of of the uh, this this school the work that you were doing Datadog Drift Dually what was what were just some of the as an early sales leader in myself right like what's your biggest piece of advice from all of those experiences um, into growing teams selling teams I know this is kind of a broad question but what what's like one of the biggest sales lessons that you learned from all three of those roles. So managing people when you're building out a team is super important to understand your team, like uh, get on their level. Um, I talk about this pretty often. It's before you mandate some crazy rules or expectations, make sure it's doable and they understand the why and um, you have a specific focus area for the team. You can tie it back to revenue targets and you're extremely transparent with those revenue targets and why they're doing things. But to take a step back, before you do that, get on their level. What does their day in the life look like? Is it actually possible for them to do, you know, 60 outbound touches per day? Um, And if you do roll something like that out, explain to them why and how it positively impacts them and also the business. For example, we just had this conversation, but, you know, we want to hit X amount of revenue. Well, is that doable or is it just some crazy number that you want to hit? Where did that even come from, right? Is that just where did it come from? Or what? Yeah, right. Exactly. So taking a step back, I want to hit X in revenue because if we hit X in revenue, we get another round of funding. If we get another round of funding, we can hire four more salespeople. Why is that important? We can go into different segments and verticals. Like taking the time to explain that. And then back it into their day, their day to day, and making sure that they understand like, how it positively impacts them. Early, early on, I would just like just shout out crazy metrics and expectations, and my team look at me like, "Okay, how the hell do you think I'm going to do that?" And right. I, I, it was because I never took the time to actually get on their level. 
Yeah, and I, I think what it comes down to, you stressed it before at the importance of Dooley, and and right mm-hmm. now again, it's just over communication. And I don't think yeah. that there's, I don't think, well, maybe you can communicate too much, but I think in regards to um to to staying on the same page and um why you're doing the things, I know obviously I have to start with why behind me. I'm I'm a huge uh, focus on that. It's like uh, if once you understand why you're actually doing it, it's going to make things that much easier and that much smoother. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Uh, all right, now let's dive in. I would love to hear, obviously you've been at, you've been at startups, you've been at larger companies. Let's talk. And, and this is exactly what you're, ha- you're, you're help, helping with at Manut Consulting. Is that right? Mine it. Mine it. <laughs> Mine it. Okay. Mine it consulting, right? Who yeah. picked that name? Anyway. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway. So you can tell the story about what the name is as well, but um, more importantly, I think behind that is like you, you help uh, early stage companies. I think you said from pre-seed up to series B helping them build out their GTM function, whether you're being like a a fractional CRO or providing guidance, consulting tips to where they need to be. I'd like to learn in the next, in the next, you know, 10, whatever minutes we have left. What, if you were starting from the ground up, let's just do like a a rough skeleton of, of how, of what some of the things are that you need to think about at the different stages. And I know we could probably have different podcasts on on every single (laughs) one of these diving deeper, which maybe, maybe we'll do that as well. But um, so let's talk just, pre-seed, seed round, you have a product, you have your first sales hire. Where do you, where do you go from there? Yeah. So one thing that I challenge all founders at this stage is to go through a value prop um, exercise, right? So what is the value that you're adding and what pain are you solving? And then once you think that you have it, then take a level deeper. Again, answer the question. So is that a true pain? So what? How can you positively impact your prospect? How can you help your prospect? Um, and then, you know, why are you doing it? Why is this important? So really going deeper into your value proposition, the pain points and um, the positive impact you have on your customers, then you can build out what does a discovery call look like? What does a qualification call look like? Um, who is your persona? And you're going to go through a lot of different calls that you are probably going to mess up that initial discovery might not be the right persona, but you're, you're learning a lot. So, um, taking all of the calls, taking those learnings, and then going back to the drawing board again, like go, go back to that value proposition. Is this the right persona that we're going after? Um, and then when you're, when you have your sale first sales rep, I think it's really important to have some type of foundation and playbook. Do not hire a sales rep and expect them to build the playbook themselves. Um, have some type of guidelines for them around your ICP. If you know it yet, uh, your persona, the pain points that you solve, um, what your sales cycle looks like guidance, right? Is it an inbound motion or an outbound motion? So I have those understandings around the day in the life. Uh, it's important because if it's an inbound motion, well, what is, what does the lead flow look like? And what are the expectations of the rep on the metric standpoint? If it's outbound, you need to hire the right profile for outbound. And again, like what are those expectations look like? If you expect them to hit revenue targets in the next month with an outbound motion, not going to happen. Outbound takes anywhere between three to six months to start to see traction, depending on your sales cycle. So there's a lot of things that need to go into your first sales hire. Um, so you can make them successful, but at the end of the day, it's really, you're as a founder, 
you're sidelining the initial calls with your sales rep early on. I know that you want to th- toss the Legos to someone else, but you're not setting a sales rep up for success if you don't have that core foundation. So we're talking about obviously the the playbook. Um, obviously those things are, are all super important so that the sales rep could come in and say, okay, well, here's at least I know what we're doing. Now let's just start. Do we have the messaging in place? How do we salesify this? And I know like our goal is to not make it salesy, but how do we put it into a, a GTM messaging system essentially to have that outbound motion in place? Because odds are uh, if you're a founder and you're, you're more of a technical founder, maybe you you have a, a network of some of these folks, but you may not actually um, have that right messaging. You know, the pains that you solve really well because you developed the product yourself, but at the same mm-hmm. token, then you need to go in and figure out like, all right, how am we actually going to sell this as well? So you mm-hmm. talked about um, the, um, the the foundation in the playbook as well. Now, diving into to that a little bit further, once this, I guess even one step back before that, like when should a founder know when to hire a sales rep? Is it hitting revenue? Is it what getting to a point where they need to to scale revenue? Like where where do you do you see any kind of trends or any any important areas there? That's a great question. I think it depends on what stage you're at. Um, you know, do, how much funding do you have? What are some of your early targets that you're looking to hit? Um, what does your funnel look like? So start at the top of the funnel. Do you have an inbound? Do you have leads? Do you have people coming in? Do you have investor introductions? Do you have enough proof points that this thing actually works? Um, product market fit is really important because when you're trying to figure out a sales motion with no product market fit, it's a waste of time and energy um, before you get that product market fit. It's a lot of money that you're hiring this individual to to start selling and trying to figure that out as you're building out a team is just going, it's just going to fail. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects around where you're, where you are from like seed series a, I think once you start to have a, a solid customer base, um, and understanding around why they bought and how you can make them successful, then it's time for, for that to hire. No, absolutely. And then when we're talking and then say, you know, all right, head of sales comes in here, you, you build the outbound function, you're getting these leads in, you're closing deals. At what point do you say, you know what, this is working. Let's add some more fuel to this fire and let's hire some SDR so that we could really bolster more of that top of funnel. When do you, when is the right time, if ever, to bring somebody on to the point where, hey, you want to run lean and you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're developing all of this stuff. But is there a mix between trying to do that too far and just try to tweak too much before you pour that gas on essentially, or tell me a little bit more about what, where you think bringing on that first BDR hire to help bolster that outbound motion as well. Yeah. I think it it really depends on what type of motion you want to have. I have clients that have just BDRs and no sales reps and they're filtering leads to the founder who's doing founder led sales. Um, I have clients who have an AEs and one SDR. So the SDRs only focus on outbound, but the AEs are focused on inbound. I think it's really important to get ahead of an outbound motion, um, especially early on. You don't want to plateau with inbound. And that SDR that you're hiring should be a bench to hire to, to promote to an account executive, right? So you have an AE or a BDR. Eventually you're going to need another AE it's super easy to slot that BDR into an account executive role. They already know the product. They already know the pitch uh, as opposed to hiring from the outside and having to do the whole training and onboarding for someone that doesn't know your tool mm-hmm. and, and finding another SDR to just backfill that role. Um, 
it depends on what motion you're actually going towards for a go-to-market function. So inbound, outbound, it really just depends on when you hire that first SDR. I think it's important to have um, an understanding of what their day in the life looks like for both AE and SDR. And what I mean by day in the life is, you know, what are some metrics that they're going to be hitting? How are they going to do that? And um, what does their day-to-day look like? So if you can't envision that, then it's probably not time to hire an SDR because you don't want them to just go going in blind. Right. Do you believe some, some people believe that you should hire two SDRs or BDRs at the same time. So you could do some benchmarking and and seeing what that looks like. What do you have any, any strong opinions on that? I think it's important to have at least two, um, depending on how many AEs you have, you're experimenting. It's super important to experiment at this stage and, um, doing AB tests and having just one, one SDR, you just don't know what's working, what's not working. They, they could be focused on the completely wrong thing. And you're going down a, a bad path Versus you have two, one's working on something. Another one's working on something else. You can, you know, do that AB test of what's where you should start to focus your time based off of the data that you're collecting around their, their metrics and their success. No, absolutely. And obviously it's important that we want to make sure that we're, and it sounds like you have that, um, that why in the background. Okay. Well, why is this important? And it sounds like you're, you're using that, that same like science type background, maybe to really have a, a sound reasoning behind why you're making these decisions and having that sound process as well. Now yeah. let's talk, fortunately, I, I don't experience this as well, but let's talk about setting the proper expectations with your boss, whether it's the founder or the CEO or, or whoever you're reporting to as well, because we could make somebody could say, Hey, we want to hit this revenue target, or we, we could do this, or they're telling the board this, but really <laughs> we know that it may not actually be a, a realistic thing or, or, you know, whatever the case may be, what is the right way to set those proper expectations and ultimately respectfully be able to push back on some of those as well. So that it's not, you don't want to just be a yes man or a yes woman and say, yeah, we're going to do this and then have no ability to actually get there. What's your best piece of advice on that? I think working closely with the founder and asking, how do you expect us to do this? What is the, um, what's the strategy here, right? So a crazy number and you're looking at the top of funnel, which I think you should start at, is it again, inbound or outbound? If it's inbound, how many leads are we getting? right? Let's, let's use inbound as an example. How many leads are we getting every day, week, month? What's the conversion rate on those leads? How much pipeline do you need? What's your ACV? What's your deal cycle? And you build that, you build from there. And if it just doesn't simply like the math doesn't make sense, you need to be a realistic. And if you have over committed to the board, you need to be confident in yourself and the way that you're going to get to that number, but adjust appropriately. And if you have that confidence around where you can actually land, I think it makes that conversation easier as opposed to adding a bunch of fluff and not having a clear understanding of how you're going to get there. It just makes it a difficult situation for everyone involved. I mean, and you could say as much as you want, one plus one equals seven, but if the math actually doesn't make sense, those variables that are going into it aren't going to have that outcome, then it's why even do the math? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. As well. Just look at the data, look at be, you need to be realistic with today's current state of your business and also have a clear understanding of how you're going to get there. If you don't know, and if there is nothing in sight, then you just need to look at what is directly in front of you today. And that's where you should be focusing your time. 
No, that, that is absolutely fantastic. We're already wrapping up time so quickly. A couple final quick questions here that I have for you as well. When you are thinking longer term, and I know that like startup years are like years um, <laughs> or like days or like years, sometimes it feels, but because you're doing so much and you're learning so much and it, it's just uh, an amazing experience. I think, um, I, you know, I, I love the startup life now. So uh, I highly recommend just from a skill development and just learning all this stuff and really not feeling like you're just a, cog in the wheel, yep. essentially, yep. right? Like, I think it's important, especially my career, like I learned sales at that big company. And then I, I, over time, I've been trickling downward to the startup life. And now I'm learning so much and get, hopefully going to continue to build back to some of those other things. But when you're thinking like long-term, and I think like long-term in startup years is maybe like three to six months, potentially, like where, what are your, yeah. what, what are you thinking? Like how, what does your planning look like in that? Like how far, Hey, I think this is our plan to do A, B, and C. Like, I guess, like, what does the sales playbook look like if you're forecasting three to six months out? And when I say forecast, not actual sales, I'm just talking about like what you're going to do for the business and the milestones you're going to hit. That's a great question. I think you probably focus on some type of revenue or um, target around number of new customers or retention. Um and then back into that, I think it depends on what stage you're at, but early, like you are at Lantern, I think a number of new customers would be a huge win. Um, not necessarily the size of the customer, but your number of new logos is is important because you're getting more people using your tool, um, which means you're getting more learnings. You're getting a better understanding of your ICP and your persona, as opposed to a giant revenue target, but set those small goals, depending on, um, you know, your your day-to-day emotion, whether it's, you know, demos or free trials back into that. So we want to have X amount of free trials in those free trials. We want to close X amount of new customers. So chipping away at some of those major milestones that long-term you see as being necessary to hit. Um, and then taking the time to understand like, how did you actually close those deals or how did you get those trials? Yeah. It sounds a lot like you're just breaking these, these big goals down into micro goals. And I know I exactly. talked to, um, uh, an, uh, one of the, uh, a, a US, US Olympian Shantae Lowe. And I said, you, you have the Olympics every four years. Like, how do you stay focused on trying to do that? And he said, well, you can't even think about four years out. I had this year, I need to qualify for the Olympics. And in between that, I need to do two or three mini events so that I could make sure that I'm in, in place and in step. It sounds like you're doing those same micro steps as you're going out to that big long-term the Olympics of getting a series round or something like that as well. Yep, exactly. Exactly. That's, fan, that's, fan, that's fantastic. All right. You obviously are super knowledgeable. You just shared about how you shared a lot of advice that I'm going to be taking and a lot of folks are going to be taking as well, whether they're early stage or, or they're further on in their career. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with your consulting company and how, why, who you're helping, why you even started this and ultimately how people could, or, or why, I don't want to say why people should, should work with you. Cause I think that that's hundred percent makes sense. But like, who are the people that could use your help the most? Yeah. So quick background. We started Mine at Light Consulting. Uh, my business partner and I worked at many early stage startups focusing on building the customer facing team. So, you know, from seed company to IPO, we've seen the story many times. Um, the reason why we started Mine at Light was because we have worked at many startups building, rolling up our sleeves and um, have been advising on the side and realized that there's a huge pain with early first or second time founders um, identifying and building that core foundation 
and you really have very little room for error. So we wanted to spread the wealth across many different startups as opposed to focusing on one, where we help build out that go-to-market function to provide founders the confidence in you know, where you're running towards, building out your customer-facing teams, whether it's sales, customer success, and marketing. Um, those, those are really important first-time hires and also really important to nail um, as opposed to just throwing up some scaffolding and and not actually getting it the right way. And uh, we've we've seen a lot of situations where you don't get it the right way and it all comes tumbling down. So that's where that's why we started Mine at Light. And we're working with companies that are seed to series B is our sweet spot right now. And just building out their go-to-market functions, whether it's ICP breakdown, persona messaging, outbound messaging framework for a new segment, um, discovery call framework for founders who are doing that founder-led sales value proposition, like a lot of different aspects of just building that initial foundation. That's fantastic. And you cannot build, and I, I use this this all the time, you're thinking about a skyscraper, think about that company as being a skyscraper. You are not building on a rocky foundation. So it's so crucial. Yeah. If you need the help, you need the assistance working with someone like Michelle to help build that solid foundation. And there's there, there's so much value in talking to a, a seasoned sales leader because there's so many different things, even just in this conversation today that are super helpful that I'm going to go take into my job. And I know that the listeners are as well. Michelle, this Great. has been fantastic. Where can people learn more about you and everything else you have going on? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Peach, co-founder at Mine at Light Consulting. Um, and feel free to send me a message. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.